everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 59 of the show, and we are smack in the middle of summer heat in 1964. School is out and June is upon us. Last episode, we started June with the three issues that came out on June 2nd. And this episode, we're diving into June 9th with the first of six comics that came out on June 9th that year. And as always, chronologically, that would be Sergeant Fury, who is now monthly, right? As of he this is, issue? Or? He is now monthly, right? Eight was just right. a month ago. So he's always going to be first in our week. And as always, it seems like, except for maybe one or two times, I have to cover this freaking book <laughs> again. So like we just said, it came out June 9th. It's cover dated August. And let me quickly look up what it's called. It's called Mission Capture Adolf Hitler. So you know that's going to happen. Um, <laughs> totally going to happen. Like that Dr. Totally. episode, Let's Kill Hitler. <laughs> right. Um, sensational story by ex-Sergeant Stan Lee. Awe-inspiring art by ex-Corporal Dick Ayers. Inked by G. Bell and lettered by S. Rosen. Um, and we start off – actually, if you all recall last time, and I'm, I'm going to hold them to this. Their last caption of last issue said, tired of the same old thing? We're really going to change it up this time, kids, so stay tuned. And that excited Mike Kaiser because – I am getting a little tired of the same old thing. So we'll see how much they change up and how much they didn't. But it starts out with uh, Sergeant Fury changed up a little bit because he's dressed in his, um, what do you call him, dress uniform. Yeah. And he's clean shaven and he's on a date with uh, Lady Pamela, I think is her title. Um, and they're having a good time. And uh, they happen to run across Percy Pinkerton, who also last issue was introduced as a new howler. Um, and as they're, like, making the introductions, the rest of the Howlers in a Jeep uh, come driving in looking for Nick. And, of course, they run over a puddle, and the puddle splashes all over their fearless leader, making him messy. And guess what? He doesn't take that well. He gets hot-headed. He starts screaming at him. Unfortunately, this annoys um, uh, Pamela because she was promised that he would keep his anger in check. Apparently, that's a sore spot in their relationship, this anger thing. So she like pulls a Lois Lane kind of on him and is like, I'll just date Percy instead because he seems like a nice, polite chap. And Percy's like, yes, but I'm possibly gay. And she says, well, it's 1964, so no, you're not. He says, okay, fine. <laughs> but uh, anyway, the reason the Howlers were looking for Fury, who's now totally encased in mud and annoyed and apologizing to his girlfriend is that Sam Sawyer is looking for Nick. So he reports for duty immediately and he's got this little old mission. Oh, I'm um, just no big deal. Why don't you go uh, capture Hitler? Uh, okay. So all the guys get, you know, suited up and they do their thing. Instead of by boat, they go by plane. They parachute in. They meet a blonde German guy who never gets named, but he is part of, uh, you know, he's a traitor, obviously, because he's helping out the Americans. And that guy gets them into this rally after they, uh, I guess they knock out a bunch of soldiers and dress up like him. And they get to this rally that's led by Hitler. And he's, you know, doing his Achtung thing or whatever. And they try and sneak in. I don't know what the exact plan is. Just go up front and like kidnap him. But as they're sneaking in, one of the people who is watching or witnessing this rally or part of the rally is Strucker, Baron Vaughn, which is not good because he recognizes Nick Fury and immediately calls out for guards and they all get into a big fracas and only 
Nick and Izzy get away. Everybody else gets captured. It's Izzy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the guy with the thin mustache, whoever that is, with no that personality. Is. Um, <laughs> Izzy. <laughs> okay. So Izzy and Nick get away. Everybody else gets captured. Um, so, of course, Strucker is looking for all points bulletin for, you know, Nick and Izzy, and he's got the whole city out looking for him. But instead of running, they confront Strucker in his own office, um, and they easily beat him up. And they basically force him to cooperate at gunpoint. And the cooperation is dress Nick and Izzy up like Nazi soldiers, go to Hitler, and convince Hitler that it'd be a real propaganda boost if he would personally witness the assassination or the, uh, it's not the right word, the execution, that's a better word, of the uh, the howlers that are captive. So uh, Hitler reluctantly agrees to this. On their way over, they're, dri- they're driving on the way over. Um, Nick poses as the uh, the driver, and Izzy's one of the soldiers. There's this cool little drama scene where, like, Adolf actually asks Nick how come he doesn't speak, and Nick's like, "Oh crud, I don't really speak German very well." But luckily, Strucker covers for him and says he got a it's a, it's a war injury to his vocal cords or something like that. Anyway, it's like Bumblebee. Yeah, they get over there um, to where the Howlers are about to be executed. Um, but of course, Izzy and the uh, the blonde unnamed resistance guy, dressed in Nazi uh, uniforms, knock out the guys who are going to shoot the Howlers. Then there's a big fight. The Howlers grab Adolf and with his own vehicle escape. There's a big car chase with Strucker, you know, now not at gunpoint, trying to capture them again and stuff. Um, they make it to the getaway plane. The unnamed blonde. Resistance guy tells them all to get on the plane and I'll keep you cover. He gets the gun down, so they all give him like a hero salute, even though they have no idea who he is. And they make it all the way back with Hitler. And the war is over. This issue is over. The timeline has changed. The end. Oh, but not really, because there's one more page. And that page is that it turns out that guy isn't Hitler because he dramatically rips off his mustache and says, see? And they all go, oh, my gosh, you're just an actor who who was playing Hitler because Hitler likes doubles and diversions and stuff. But instead of being mad at Nick for, for failing his mission, they still write it off as a success because they weren't quite sure that Hitler did do stuff like that, had body doubles and, 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 and robots and things to clones and all that to, to distract people. And now they're sure of it because they caught one. So they, he still gets a pat on the back and the end. Yeah. Yeah. So, have you ever thought about the fact that if Hitler and Worf kissed, their mustaches wouldn't touch? <laughs> I can't say that I have, but you're not wrong. <laughs> Speaking of Worf, this is very Star Trek V, isn't it? It's like, yeah. You're not going to find God, so what are we even doing this for? <laughs> what does Hitler need with a starship? <laughs> Why well, You're not going to capture Hitler. It's on the cover. I get it. But you're not going to change history. Right. So, and besides, we already know that Hitler is going to end up as the hate monger, <laughs> right? Or Hitler's double, or maybe the same guy. Hey, it's the same guy. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. He keeps the nose and the mustache on for twenty years. So I feel like they they gave me an empty promise because this feels a lot like no difference. Um. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what that was intended to mean, except that maybe new artist, new day. It's a brand new day. Yeah, I like Dick Ayers in this. Um, maybe just because I'm already used to him. This is his second outing, but I liked it. His art, I mean. 
Yeah, yeah, I like him in this. Uh, I feel like the characters have faces that are unusual and distinct. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Jack Kirby does sometimes make his faces look a bit too similar. I don't think he was very guilty of that in this book um, because, you know, he had to deliberately make his howlers look different. But we talked about how he couldn't really tell them apart sometimes. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't have that as problems much, but I've had a lot more experience with the book than you have. Um, so I think Dick Ayers does a lot to just make subtle differences in their face shapes and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Pamela Holly. We have not gotten yeah. to see her nearly enough since she was introduced. No, so far they've been on two dates and both times she basically just complains about his temper. But that's as far as it goes. <laughs> Did she complain about his temper last time too? Yeah, because they were at a dinner at a restaurant and somebody accidentally elbowed him or something and then start, tried to start a fight. And he jumped at it and she's like, Nick Fury, you sit down because blah, blah, blah. You're not going to fight in front of me. Something like that. Johnny, I hate when you flame on. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Gabe Jones had a line in this comic. And it's honestly been a while since that has happened. I think since wasn't he injured recently or he was injured in that episode where the guy was racist or whatever episode, the uh, issue where that guy was racist. Wasn't he injured or something? Dino's the one that was injured, but Gabe's only line in that was to say hi to him before the guy looked down and realized he was black. Right, right, right. Yeah. But he's got a close up face shot on page five. He has a line. There's not a single bugle anywhere to be seen. It's not that it never happens. It just feels like it's pretty rare. I feel like to me, the one who is still the least developed is the blonde dude, even though I see him talking in this a couple times. Mm-hmm. I don't know who he is or what his specialty is. At least Gabe has a trumpet. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the blonde dude does. His specialty is being Southern. Okay. Oh, he's <laughs> the guy with the lasso, huh? Yeah. And he's, yeah, got, okay. he's got the crazy Southern accent. We show enough deuce. Dino's the actor slash Italian. Uh, I don't know what Izzy is either, to tell you the truth. Izzy's he's a mechanic. He's Jewish and mechanic. Okay, Jewish and mechanic. And, of course, Percy stands out now. Mm-hmm. Dum um, Dum stands out. So, yeah, we're getting closer to where some of this is fleshing out. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's been going for over a year, so we should <laughs> know these guys better. But, you know, we're getting there. Uh, yeah, and I don't. Oh, well. It's all right. Yeah. Um, page six, it says... Uh, what was my thought on this? Sergeant Fury says, why not? We've done just about everything else. How, now clam up and I'll fill you in. Um, oh, yeah, because he says we're going to capture Adolf Hitler. And he says we've done just about everything else. They've done, like, all this stuff in this war. They've gone after A-bombs. They've gone after uh, spies. They've gone after, you know, people who've gone over to the other side. And uh-huh. now they're going to go after Hitler. It actually kind of makes sense to give them this assignment because they've accomplished every other no-win situation. Yep. That's kind of their specialty. So it seems to me like the number one thing would be take out the leader. But, Which, you uh, know, Superman yeah. was never allowed to do. I thought he did it, though. He didn't actually do it, and then they backtracked um, on it? Or? There was a special short story in a magazine where he went after Hitler and Stalin or Mussolini or someone. But it not not an actual continuity. Didn't Cap and Bucky dress up as an old lady and a little ward and, like, they went over and pushed him into a bucket or something like that? And then oh, left? yeah. Cap was always going after Hitler. Like, at least, at least half a dozen times he went after yeah. Hitler. Yeah. But never actually stopped him. No, no. That'd be too Just much. Just humiliated him. Um, do you get the feeling? I don't know why, but every once in a while I feel like they're trying to make somebody somebody that I'm supposed to know. So like this unnamed blonde resistance guy, is he supposed to be somebody? 
Because in the end, they really do this big send-off with him, and like he's saluting them, and he's a big hero. The end. And every I time did, I every time I have that feeling in this book, it turns out to be true, like an actual character. Yeah. I did not get that. Um, right. Well, it's weird they don't name him. Right. They don't even so, give him a, you know no made up name, no nothing. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know. I don't know how I would even look that up. Blonde resistance German World War II guy and. On Wikipedia, that probably won't fly. So, yeah, well, I guess he gave his life to make sure they got it away. Maybe they're just trying to give a moment of poignancy and drama there. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know if it quite landed right. If we're just left wondering who he is, they even literally say that, like, "Oh, that guy was amazing. Too bad we don't even know his name or something like that." Right. Anyway, um, on page eight, Hitler is mm-hmm. doing a speech. You know, up the podium in front of all the Nazis, like, "Today, all Germany is ours. Tomorrow, it will be the world." Mm-hmm. And it was only like weeks ago that I found out that the whole and tomorrow the world thing is a Hitler reference. Oh, is it like something he said all the time? Yeah, it was something, he, or at least he said it, you know, in a, in a way that was like made known, like in a popular speech or something. But, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and tomorrow the world. That, so spe- that's Hitler. Speaking of that pseudo German that they do, they're uh-huh. doing a lot more. They didn't do that initially in this series, and now they're kind of doing it a lot. Um, there's a weird caption. Once Nick is undercover and driving Hitler around, there's like this caption that says, you should just assume that anytime Hitler speaks, he's speaking German unless we say otherwise. Mm-hmm. It's like, why couldn't you just do that at the beginning and then not have this weird way of writing German that makes me have to read the sentence five times to understand what he's saying? Like the, the, the accented English? Yeah. Tomorrow it will be der world. Right. Yeah, that's kind of annoying. I'd rather just have him typed normal and then just assume that he has an accent or that he's speaking German. Yeah, um, written accents, are, I think, are kind of a mixed bag. I know that they were made really, really popular when Claremont did them for, like, you know, Colossus and Nightcrawler. Mm-hmm. But I think nowadays it comes off as being kind of stereotypy. Mm-hmm. And, and instead of instead of acknowledging the accent, you're, like, putting a negative spin on the accent. Plus, in this case, he's addressing German people in a German rally. So he's not speaking English with a German accent. He's speaking German. You are correct, sir. You so are the correct. translation should just be straight, and there should be a little asterisk that said speaking German or something like that. Anyway. So Baron Strucker's back. Yeah, that was a surprise. I didn't know he'd be in this. You'd think they'd throw that on the cover, but surprise. Surprise. It was well, cool. Out of, out of Strucker and Hitler, who's more important, right? I couldn't remember what happened to him last time. Like... I, I know that he got beat up by Nick, but did he not get captured? No, uh, I think he was worried about like losing face because he was the one of the big themes about his first appearance is that he was nobility. So uh-huh. why would he stoop to like fighting a low man like that? And then he ended up cheating. Um, but I I think his main concern was losing face in the in front of his people. I don't remember exactly how that ended though. Yeah, it was like a propaganda war. They were all mad that that he beat up Nick and then made it a propaganda thing. So they did it back. I think maybe they were on Germans' lines when they did it, so they probably didn't capture him. Yeah, they were remarkably close for being able to just go fight. Yeah. Anyway, Uh, so yeah, I guess he showed up again. So he's officially a recurring villain now, Mm -hmm. and he will continue to be a recurring villain in Sergeant Fury until he turns up you know, later as an old man in, in the present day. So Sergeant Fury's first recurring villain outside of Hitler. Outside of Hitler. Uh, I love how towards the end of the comic, they're all about to die. But Gabe's all, no more inspections or KP. We got it made. 
<laughs> yeah, that was really cool. They're just trying to psych themselves out and make it right. seem like it's no big deal. They're going to die. But, um, but yeah, it was a fun little story. Um, uh-huh. I can see why you feel like it's all kind of the same. I, I, I'll, I'll confess I don't really f- agree with you on it, but I can kind of see what kinds of sameness that you're getting tired of. And I wouldn't mind if that sameness got a little bit less as well. You know, I don't know. I don't know how that would work in a Sergeant Fury comic, but. Well, I mean, they're getting a little bit with the Pamela thing, like just maybe more of that kind of stuff. Give these guys lives outside of the next mission, you know, or maybe a mission that focuses on one or two and lets them actually be people. Yeah. And and this is probably true of all the comics we cover because it's been, it's taking a while for everybody to get into the Spider-Man storytelling devices. Mm -hmm. Um, And we know they all, they all will. That's why Spider-Man out of the gate was a pretty good, is been a pretty good read because right, because immediately he's got personal problems and, all these like side stories and stuff that continue one issue to the next. And it's taking like Thor and our oh, human torch doesn't even do it. Uh, I don't know. Fantastic four and others to follow suit. So, I mean, this book is no different, but I guess there's also no spandex or superpowers. So stands out more. So would it be fair to say that Sergeant Fury is one of the more DC esque books? Cause uh, you know, in, in, in like early silver age DC team books, whether it's justice league or like the different, you know, challengers and the the war teams you kind of mm-hmm. have faces and accents but you don't really have a whole lot to distinguish the people yeah and they do kind of the same story over and over like not continuing some subplot from one to the next yeah no, yeah not a lot of subplots in those silver age dc team books in fact yeah. justice league justice league doesn't have a subplot for years right so it's all just the mission one mission one mission mm-hmm. could be well Speaking of Justice League. <laughs> Speaking of. Should we go on to the Avengers number those, seven? Those wannabes. Yeah. Yeah. Their darkest hour. Oh, in no. Which, in which the mighty Avengers battle among themselves with the Enchantress, the Executioner, and evil Zemo waiting to pick up the spoils. Well, to be fair, this is only issue seven. So the darkest hour isn't a very high bar yet. <laughs> or, or, or low bar since we're trying or to get low a, bar. So the cover has Thor swinging his hammer and on in the background are the Avengers trying not to get by the hammer and in the foreground are the villains trying not to get hit by the hammer. Mm-hmm. Except that the Executioner is actually holding Thor up on his knee. Uh, it does look that way, doesn't it? Kind of, <laughs> sort of. That is a little weird. It looks like the bad guys are in a rock. Stuck in the he, rock or something. Yeah. I have a feel. It feels like it's like different compositions put into the same space without a lot of. Not his best cover. No, as far as just the, the, the layout goes. Giant Man looks weird too. His head looks too low and big or something. Anyway. Oh, right. Yeah, it looks like a, it looks like a bobblehead. Okay. So this is, um, magnificently written by Stan Lee, majestically illustrated by Jack Kirby, masterfully inked by Schick Stone, and meticulously lettered by Art Simic. So y'all remember back in Tales of Suspense 56, how whenever the unicorn was coming after Tony Stark um, or after Iron Man, whoever it was, the Avengers knew about it. And they called Stark looking for Iron Man. He's like, no, no, no. I sent Iron Man off on vacation. He's not going to be back for a long time. The Avengers are like, oh, well, crap, we're busy. We can't take care of a unicorn. They skadoosh away. But happily, Iron Man takes care of the unicorn. Well, now Iron Man's in trouble because he dodged an Avengers call. And he's basically getting pulled up on charges 
and Thor has his hammer and he's being all highfalutin. I know how to be in charge of things. I'm a god of Asgard. I will tell you what to do. You are not allowed to superhero for a week. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's his punishment. And Iron Man's like, it's what I deserve. I don't deserve a superhero for a week. Man, I really botched this one up. Meanwhile, in Asgard, Odin's, um, you know, telling people what to do. I am Odin, Lord of Asgard. I know how to tell people what to do. And he's telling Enchantress and Executioner that for going after Thor, his favorite son, they're in trouble. And uh, he turns to the Executioner and says, I remove from you your power. You are unworthy. And he strips him of his helmet and and banishes him. Um and Enchantress banishes both of them to Earth. Loki, meanwhile, is skulking in the side of the throne room. <laughs> it's a good thing they didn't figure out I was behind the whole thing. <sighs> That's pretty great. So um, Enchantress and Executioner show up in the middle of traffic and Cop yells them to get out of traffic. Executioner shoots some laser beams out of his hands to scare people away. Um, and they're like, okay. Well, we're in this world now. What are we going to do? We need to find some bad guys to team up with. Enchantress is like, ooh, newspaper. The leader of the Masters of Evil, Zemo. That sounds like a good guy to team up with. Let's go do that. So meanwhile, Captain America is trying to stay fit. So he's fighting like, I don't know, six, seven, eight thousand guys, something like that. And uh, he gives them all a run for their money. He goes and rests with the book. He's like, remember how Bucky died? (laughs) Yeah, I'm sad about Bucky dying. And uh, turns around and there's Bucky. But it's not Bucky. It's Rick Jones. And Captain America's like, take off those clothes. I told you never to wear them. And and Rick is like, but I thought we were going to be friends or partners. All the Avengers were talking about us being partners. I thought it was you. No, it's not what I want. I will never let anyone else be Bucky until I have revenge on the man who killed Bucky. Zemo must Get revenge on Zemo. Meanwhile, Zemo is back in his African jungle kingdom where he like sits on a throne and walks on people's backs and and beats up natives because, you know, he's well, he's a racist Nazi. Let's be down with it. So um, while he's in his uh, trunk full of goodies, the ghostly figures of Executioner and Enchantress come and talk to him and they say, hey, um, we'll help you get revenge on um, the Avengers and Captain America, if you team up with us, he's like, yes, I'll do that. So, um, meanwhile, Giant Man has gone off to have some adventures in Tales to Astonish. Thor has flown away to be Thor. Captain America and Rick Jones just kind of left standing there going, do, 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 do. And this guy steps out of the forest. Hello, Captain America. I am mysterious, um, but I am an ex-Nazi and I have come to apologize um, and to let you know where Zemo can be found. Um so Captain America's like, fine, I'm going to go after Zemo. After Captain America leaves, the guy takes off his face, and it's actually the Executioner. So he was pretending to be uh, a friend of Zemo. Thor is flying around being Thor, and the Enchantress is on a rooftop. She says, hey, Thor. He's like, it's the Enchantress. She's like, yep, and I am so hot, I'm going to hypnotize you. And you're going to love me. And you're going to drink this love potion, and you're just going to be my love slave forever. Oh, and by the way, the Avengers are monsters and they're your enemies, so you should totally go attack them. And that way we'll have revenge and then you can be mine forever. He's like, sweet. The Avengers are evil. I'm going to kill them and then I can be your love slave forever. Captain America goes down to the South American jungle, lands, starts getting attacked by people who work for Zemo, falls into a whole trap. Uh, Thor 
attacks Giant Man while he's in the Avengers helicopter. So Thor and Giant Man and the Wasp start fighting in New York. Tony Stark is chilling out, Max, and relaxing all cool, plugging his suit to the outlet by the stool. And um, he sees on the news that Thor and Giant Man are fighting. So he's like, oh, well, banishment or no banishment, I want to go be a superhero. So he puts on his Iron Man suit. Um, let's see. The uh, Captain America keeps fighting Zemo and... Giant Man and Thor keep fighting each other, um, and eventually it all wraps up. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, I think Zemo comes to New York in his rocket, and Captain America, like, hitches a ride with his... Yeah, he uses his magnetic shield, right? Uh-huh. The magnets in his shield he uses to stick himself to the hull of Zemo's ship as Zemo flies to New York. So, um, Captain America is able to stop Zemo... Um, the Enchantress, the Executioner, and Zemo all fly away in their ship. And Thor, who is somehow out of his um, hypnotism, he uses his hammer to make a space warp vortex to space warp Zemo's ship off into some other different city or different universe or different comic book. And that's the yep. end. Yep. He's not sure which. Right. So, yeah. Wow. This was pretty good until that ending. Uh, the ending kind of just went along and along and along and then, bam, it stopped. Yeah, Um, but there's definitely some things. Like, so I was just listening to our cover of last issue. Uh Uh-huh. And we went on and on and on about whether Cap knows that Zemo killed Bucky, right? Because they never really explicitly say that in six. So you and I had this, like, Sherlock in Holmes, like, trying to figure out how or what he knows. And then our solution was, well, I guess we'll figure it out eventually. And then, of course, in this issue... Zemo killed Bucky. I must get revenge. So I feel like there probably was one line that we just weren't seeing at the time. I guess so. There was no question in my mind about how that went in that comic. Um, but I don't know. I couldn't find a line that actually said, you know, that Cap. And of course, Cap being at the mission where they got on the plane would know that Zemo was there. Yeah, so, you'd think. So he should have known, even if we didn't know. He should have known that Zemo was responsible for Bucky's death. Yeah. Um, I am kind of weirded out by the whole Iron Man getting suspended thing. I was going to ask you, what would you think of that? Because I feel the same way. Like, Tony told them he was on a vacation. According From the Avengers' perspective of what we saw on the page, Iron Man never got the call. And then they, the Avengers, just decided to leave well, the unicorn to his own devices. If you recall, he didn't even take the call. He... Uh they're like, hey, the Avengers need you. And he's like, well, I'm not – I don't care. And he walked out because he was like busy being having a hissy fit and hating everything about his life. So he was just going to throw it all away, right? Right. So he didn't even like answer the phone. I thought Tony answered it and told him that oh. he was on vacation. Well, maybe I'm not right about that. Let me think. Let me see here. Because Iron Man, I know, never talked to the Avengers about it. Let's see. Oh, here we go. He's Mr. Stark, personal bodyguard. Perhaps Mr. Stark knows. Just a moment. I heard that, Pepper. Tell them I sent Iron Man away. Okay, you're right. Away for a vacation, long vacation. So he doesn't tell them. He tells Pepper to tell them. So, yeah, essentially he just brushes them off. So there have to have been, like, other conversations in this little trial or hearing or whatever that led up to this point. Um, yeah, because you can't expect every call to be answered. What if something else is going on? We all have secret identities, A, that we're not willing to share, and B, as Iron Man, maybe I was fighting something else. 
Because you guys were busy fighting something else, which is why you couldn't fight the unicorn. Although Iron Man did end up dealing with the unicorn, so maybe they found out about that. Maybe. And then the other thing is weird is, is that an interesting punishment? Like, No. I imagine (laughs) – I think as a superhero team, I suppose you have to have rules or something. But just like, don't do anything for a week. That seems weird. Like, what are you learning? Right. I was listening to uh, Spider-Man Rewind, and they were describing the plot of the Avengers 11 – and just the way he made fun of Avengers meetings is like, okay, so this is our meeting. We are we are the Avengers, and these are the things we do at meetings, and and I am the chairman, and and you know, it's just like it just seems so stuffed shirt. See, as an Avengers fan, I know that we Avengers fans love the chairman thing and the meetings thing, and I'm starting to think that maybe we do because that's kind of an Avengers thing. Because unlike. The other two groups we cover, FF and X-Men, and because the, they just all live together all the time and eat breakfast together and stuff like that. Like right. these guys do go away and they come back. So they have meetings, right? Right. I don't know why we like those issues where rosters change and meetings and who's new, who's the new leader and blah, blah, blah. But So do they have like a lot of meetings between issues where nothing interesting happens? They like sit there <laughs> and they just wait for the trouble alert to go off at the same time as their meeting and it never does? I guess. I mean, if you don't know the other person's identity, maybe it makes sense to constantly get together to make sure you're still alive. Right. And part of the group and you're all on board. So maybe they do just get together to have like brunch and don't accomplish anything except to be aware of their status. But yeah, it was a weird punishment. It and is. Like was <laughs> you're not allowed to be a superhero. So if they're if bad things happen, sucks to be them. Because yeah, you're, you're you're punished. You're, they, you're they just lost Iron Man. Iron Man as a member on their team for a week, essentially. Right. They're punishing if the themselves. Unicorn attacks. <laughs> yeah, they're punishing themselves. If the unicorn attacks because you didn't answer, um, you're now not allowed to fight him. So there. I do like Kirby's uh, angle here, though, where he has Thor pointing and being all godly and bossy, and then it cuts to Odin pointing the exact same way, being godly and bossy. That was kind mm-hmm. of clever. That was clever. That is fun. And and Loki's all like giggling because they didn't suspect that he was actually behind it. And I'm kind of like, it probably wouldn't matter if Odin did suspect you were behind it because Odin never does anything to you. So much for his all seeing eye or whatever. Right. Or does he not? He, I guess he doesn't have that, huh? No, uh, Heimdall has that. Odin oh, right, has right. all power, but he doesn't have all sight. I thought the whole thing about his eye patch was that something about sight or he has ravens that see everything for him or something. He does have ravens that go scout stuff out for him. So uh, he can see things from a distance with his ravens, but it's not everything. It's just like, yeah, it's kind of a point and click thing. If if he, if he looks, he can see it, but he doesn't always see it. Yeah, because he was able to see that sprite no one could see in that backup story. Mm-hmm. But he had to look for it. All right. Um, I'll page buy that. four executioner uh-huh. has social anxiety. It's like I don't like people crowding me. Get away. I like this scene though. It reminded me of the the scene where Odin came to Earth and Thor. Mm-hmm. And tried someone tried to mug him. <laughs> it's like Kirby, Kirby likes the scenes where like you know gods are just walking amongst the people, and that that is a Kirby trope, and I dig it. Yeah, bringing cosmic god level beings down to the human level is a totally Kirby idea that I love. It yeah. does it in the Eternals. He does it in New Gods. He does it in this. He does it in Fantastic Four. It's something he does a lot, and I I, I dig it. Yeah, it just makes it more real world that you have like a cop. Yelling at a, a godly being to get out of the way, you know? Mm-hmm. That's kind of fun. The Captain America scene is very much a taste of his uh, solo series. Yeah. 
he like hires uh, one, two, three, four, five of the best professional wrestlers to see if he can take them out, I guess, mm-hmm. or if they can take him out. One of them's named Crusher, and for five seconds, I was excited that maybe it was supposed to be Crusher Hogan, but the guy named Crusher is hairy with a beard, so I guess not. Maybe he grew it out because he was embarrassed of his old look. That could be, except I know that in Amazing Spider-Man 280-something, Crusher comes back and he's bald still, but... Oh, okay. I don't know. But yeah, Cap Solo stories, I don't know if listeners, if you've read them, but whenever he first gets his own series in the back of Tales of Suspense, for a while, it's just kind of an excuse for a fight scene. Pretty much. Um, It's like every villain is like, let's attack the weakest Avenger. And then it's like, he's not weak. Right. Yeah. So, um, and we're not, we're, we're not that far from it. We're getting Astonish 60 next month. And then it's just two more months until, um, or maybe the next month that we get new, uh, cap and suspense. But anyways, that's the future. So, you know how, like when you're at a friend's house and they've just lost like a grandpa or something and they're really sad about it. Like you just had this impulse to go raid the closet and dress up like their grandpa. (laughs) <laughs> to make him feel better right right yeah so this scene really rang true for me with with old bucky here but i legitimately want to know where the hell this came from like where did the clothes come from that's a good they point tucked, they were tucked away in one of his closets like you keep dead man's clothes from 20 years ago in your closet he fell into the ocean in these where where are these clothes coming from yeah, and you can't even argue that it's a backup or anything because he had no things. Right. He had his suit that he had underneath his army fatigues, and that's right. it. Steve Nothing Rogers else. is still wearing the same underwear he was wearing in 1944. <laughs> yeah, so you can't say like he had a he had a case with like extra Bucky outfits or something that he that's in his house because he had nothing. So it is weird. Someone created a Bucky outfit. Yeah, I don't know. The Bucky sad leads to Bucky mad. And at the end of the page, he's like, do you think I could bear it if anything happened to you too? I'll never have another partner. I won't be responsible for another life. Never. So this should pretty much put an end to any discussions of Cap taking Rick under his wing as a new partner, right? It's over Yeah, just like, just like Jason Todd and, you know, how that always works. <laughs> There's a scene where Tim first puts on Jason's costume and Batman's like, I will, I will not make this mistake a third time. And somebody yeah. tweeted that with the caption, what about a fourth time and a fifth time? <laughs> right. <laughs> Got to have the drama before you finally cave, I guess. Still there? Yep. Okay. Just make, I'm audio went weird for a second. So um, Zemo, we talked a bit about his title last time, how he's only doctor. He's not Baron, but he is king. Yes. He is king of these people. So we get King Zemo before we get Baron Zemo. Yeah. And I was asking around online and evidently he is not Baron until after he dies. Okay. So he's just Zemo or Dr. Zemo right now. Interesting that they even listen to him. But is, are, are we're assuming he's their leader because his intelligence and technology makes them think like he's a god or something? Maybe. Because they're quote unquote primitive. They have spears and they're wearing underwear or a loincloth. Yeah, it's, it's a really questionable setup. It's it's highly objectionable. Um, it, I feel like we've seen a dynamic similar to this before. Mm-hmm. Was... was um, Wong Chu or whatever his name in the first Iron Man story was he kind of a setup like this? Not with the not with the racial difference, but just kind of a guy who's like putting down other guys because he's the guy who's scary. Yeah, but he was also part of Vietnam or Korea or whatever it was. Yeah, Vietnam. Boy, can't remember already. Um, yeah, he was a general, so I don't know. At least that way, you're earned and you got you're surrounded with guys who have guns who follow your 
word. Like Zemo's all alone here and all these people like don't seem to care that he screams at them and hits them and makes them do horrible things. Like they just go along with it. Right. And they work for him and they, they, I mean, they're carrying out his orders and everything. So I yeah. don't know. Maybe, I mean, maybe he brought his death ray and scared them all to death. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. Um, okay. So page eight, my other two allies, the radioactive man and the melter are still in the hands of the police back in America. Yeah. We don't care about the black Knight. And also I thought Baron Zemo didn't get away either. Remember they had that thing like he's not going to get away because we switched his bag with itching powder. Or oh, whatever. yeah. His his plane crashed. But I his guess he crashed. did get away. I guess he got away. Oh, they well. had to actually go and get the plane after. They forgot to get the plane after it crashed. Oh, right. That one little part. Yeah. It's funny, he, that, it's funny that Executioner dresses up as Baron Strucker. <laughs> he does. Oh, my gosh. That is Baron Strucker. Oh. Yeah. Uh, not the best person to dress up as if you're trying to ingratiate yourself with Captain America, but okay. No, because you figure that even though we haven't seen it, and I don't know if we ever do, you figure Cap and Strucker probably ran into each other in the 40s. Yep. Um, Enchantress is back on this kick. Uh-huh. Like, okay, so I know it's like her defining trait. I Like, in Marvel lore, Enchantress loves Thor. That's just the way it is. Uh-huh. The last time going after Thor and trying to trying to seduce him was purely Loki's idea. Yes. And by the end of that story, she was done with it. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, I've got to find some way to make Thor mine. going to get inside his, his, his wings. I don't know. Um, yeah. To what end? Sex? I guess. That's, I mean, what else is there? I suppose. Yeah. I don't know. Or just, just the power trip of like making the mightiest God her slave. Mm-hmm. Um, they say that sexual crimes are actually crimes of violence, not crimes of passion. So maybe this is actually just all a power play for her. I'm kind of surprised she can possess him. I don't know why I'm surprised. But when I read it, I was like, oh, that was easy. I, for yeah. some reason, thought that he could resist her. But maybe He not. goes down pretty quick. Yeah. Like she bamboozles him with his eyes and then she seals it with a potion. And that's it. Thor's down. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd think he would know better, but well, because what happened when she encountered um, Donald Blake? Did she? She didn't bamboozle him, did she? Because she oh, didn't no. know he was Thor or something she like did, that. She didn't. Yeah, she did not know he was Thor. And I'm having a hard time remembering now. I think she but didn't it, turn the charm on enough, so it didn't work on him because she thought he was human, right? Or something like that. That issue anyway. never sticks out of my mind. I've read it, you know, three or four <laughs> times, and I get to the next Enchantress like execution, and I'm always like, "What happened the first time around?" Yeah. I don't remember um, either, but it didn't work. I remember that. So after Thor talk, after Captain America talks to not Baron Strucker, if you just kind of breeze through, it looks like he's like, I know where Zemo is. And Captain America's like, that's all I need to know. Skadoosh. <laughs> yeah, he it, hits him. Yeah. Th- I mean, there is a caption saying seconds later, after the man who calls himself Hans Gruberveld has finished talking. So theoretically, he gives Cap some instructions on how to find Zemo. But it's like Cap just hears about Zemo and goes off. Uh-huh. He's a man on a mission. I do love the panel with all of the monstrous Avengers. Oh, yeah. That's super good. Yeah, there's like this panel is half more than half a page of what Thor is dreaming or, or you know, being hypnotized to think about. And it's all the Avengers looking really horrible and demonic and stuff. It's pretty yeah. cool. And, and Wasp has the, the uh, bat wings. I think her change of design is, is, the, is my favorite. Yeah. Because Cap just looks like a mean Cap and Giant Man just looks like mean Giant Man and Iron Man. He looks I mean, pretty his, cool. Yeah, his his eye shapes are different, and he looks pretty cool. But I like the wasp. Uh-huh. Um, let's see. I oh. feel like I feel like Cap parachutes a lot in these early stories. This is the first time, but I think we're going to see that again. I could be wrong. Yeah. Um. And, you know, most famously, maybe at the beginning of the Ultimates, 
whenever he goes oh, without a parachute. Sure, because that's for girls. Yeah, and just lands. Yeah, that ultimate cap is not a good man. <laughs> no. <laughs> he's fun, but he's not a good man, no. No, no. And I was just randomly wondering, how do you think Kirby got such perfect ellipses and circles on his shield? Like, he draws these really, sem- uh, like, very great parallel arcs. And I just got to imagine it's hard to do. Well, when it's straight on, you just use a compass, right? But when right. it's when it's angled, there actually is a trick. You uh, you make a box essentially, and then you meet the points of the box. So like the center, I don't know. It's hard to explain verbally, but if you see it, it makes a lot of sense. There is a way to do it, but okay. it is kind of a pain in the butt. So I don't know if he just freehands it and got good at it, or if he actually did the box perspective thing every time or what. Because you figure he did a whole year of it back in the forties, but hasn't done it since. But you'll notice that like the stripes continue to be inconsistent within the same book. Like on page, say, 13, one panel to the next is wrong. Yeah. There are three stripes and there are four stripes. Yeah. It's like the thing about Cap's torso and his shield. I was looking at this in the Golden Age, too, because I was just curious how often it's wrong. And it's like it's wrong so often. Mm -hmm. And then you got to think like, well, if you're a colorist – you get a black and white picture of Cap. What's the difference between the red lines and the white lines on his torso? They're all just lines. Right. So what's to say this time you draw or you color the red in the same spot you draw? You color the red the next spot. So, yeah, it's impossible. So there should be a red stripe in the center, right? Uh, eventually. I think initially, no. Like in these early issues, I think it's more like um, there there's either a white in the center or it's kind of right down the middle. In 14, I'm looking at a back and a front panel. And neither one is super close up, but they both look like there's a red stripe in the middle. I think by the time you hit the 80s, like with Mike Zek and stuff like that, like the stripe in the middle, the red right down the middle, super thick. And it's very consistent by that point. Gotcha. But right now it's kind of it, like it's little stripes. Because yeah. as, it goes, as it wraps around, it apparently looks thinner as it goes around. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, okay. So Giant Man goes to 40 feet. In this issue, and that uh, might be a new record for him. And that's like the coolest Thor smashing a Quinjet panel there will ever be. Oh, yeah. It's really neat. He yeah. destroys it in one blow because he's Thor. He's Thor. Uh, yeah, that was a cool That was a cool panel, though, a 14-foot uh, giant man, like, kind of collapsed on top of a building that he's crushing. Mm-hmm. Although his logic is actually backwards. Yeah. Because if he's going to be falling, he would rather be as little mass as possible. That's what I was so, thinking, too. I understand why he's thinking less distance if I'm bigger. Uh-huh. But you're going to be much better off if you just shrink to ant size and fall like that. Because then you'll have as little damage as possible. I was thinking he told her to shrink because she has wings when she shrinks, which is good. Right. Um, but she maybe he should, he should add wings to his own thing. Or... Yeah, I don't know. Like how I don't know the physics of like if you were a little ant-sized person and you fell from the sky to the ground, would you survive? I wouldn't. <laughs> wow, but yeah, I mean, yeah, mass-wise, I don't, I, don't I don't know. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he thought he could grab a building if he was large and not fall to his death or something. I don't know. But you're right. Like when you're smaller, if you dropped an ant, if you dropped an ant off the top of a building, would it die? Would it hit the concrete? Yes. Or would the wind just like make it float down? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, um, Tony's smoking. 
He is. In page 16 there, Tony Stark is smoking a cigarette. Has he done that before? Uh, I feel like he's piped it before. Yeah, we've seen the pipe. I don't think we've seen any cigarettes before. No. Not see, in a hero's hand. See, like the pipe seems like, not that it is, kids, so don't smoke, but the pipe seems like, you know, for an intelligent man or a sophisticated man, you know? Right. I have my pipe and that's how, you know, that's that's my gentlemanly way of consuming tobacco. Yes. So cigarette seems like an addiction or something. Wow. Yeah. But I guess movie stars smoked and it was cool, like Bond smoked and stuff in the 60s. Oh, yeah. In the 60s, the the whole disgusting vogue of cigarettes was a very, very, very tiny minority opinion. Right. Um, we uh, mentioned in the uh, synopsis he was plugged into the wall. We have not seen that for a while. Uh-huh. In his own comic, he's even talked about how he has like many generators in his suit. Now, if he can just rest, he can recharge his power just by resting. Yeah. Which doesn't make any sense, but that's what he does now. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, well, the plugging's kind of annoying, too. Yeah. So, I don't know what's better. He's going to have to move away from that at some point, but I'd be solar curious power? to see. Solar power would be the way to go. Did they have that in the 60s or even think about that? I don't know. I don't know That's either. a good question. Get a scientist on here. I'll be curious to see if and when we ever see him plug in again after this. <laughs> I like this bit where Enchantress is looking in a crystal ball, and she sees that Cap's stuck in a pit, and she's like, I'm going to finish him off, and she makes... The rocks collapse, and he's like, cool, stairs. And he gets out. <laughs> um, let's see. Okay, so Thor's the one who pronounced the banishment. Uh-huh. And now Thor's going mad. So Iron yeah. Man's like, you know what? Screw you, Thor. I'm going to come stop you, because you told me I couldn't be an Avenger, and now I'm going to be an Avenger. Well, I think, like, I'm with Iron Man on this one. Like, actually, I think... Anything he witnesses on TV that's dangerous that he can stop, he should just say, forget that and do it. Yeah, I agree. It, it makes no sense. But he sees, like, Thor possessed and he's going to kill Giant Man who's not even moving. Like, yeah, go help. Because if you just sit there, nope, sorry, I'm banished for a week. And then, like, Giant Man and Wasp die, that might not be good. And then Enchantress on the next page is like, how fortunate that Odin did not take all my powers from me. Yeah. Here on Earth, there are still many forms of enchantment at my command. An executioner is just sitting there. Yeah, I would took my helmet and axe, so rub it in, why don't you? Do you think he still – was he super strong before? I don't even know. But do you think he still has like, strength or something? I'm sure he still has strength. I'm sure he still has god-level strength. Yeah. He looks he funny. He doesn't have his stuff. Just sitting there in a sweater and jeans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this sucks. Um, glove magnets. Yeah. It comes out handy here. Yeah. I mean, because he managed, he can use the glove to magnetize his shield, which in turn magnetizes or sticks to the jet, which otherwise he would not be able to hold on to, probably. Right. I feel like Bucky had this problem. Like, wasn't his <laughs> arm stuck on the plane? He couldn't get it off, and that's why he was stuck in the plane and died. Not because of magnets, though. I think if fabric was just stuck or something. Maybe Tony Stark went back in time and gave him arm magnets. Yeah, probably. Tony Stark killed Bucky. Civil well, War. It was a retcon, so there you go. Yeah, that's true. Um, do you think that from an artist's point of view, they're also there so it doesn't have to draw the shield straps? Like, his cap is running by there in 19. There's no straps holding his arm to his shield. That's a good point. I was just flipping through now to see if there's straps anywhere else. I don't see any. Yeah, maybe they just don't like doing the strap thing. I mean, there are eras later where Cap has, like, energy shields or other people who are, like, ripping on Cap's motif have an energy shield. Mm -hmm. So the idea of having not exactly a real shield there is is going to be, you know, something that comes back up again. Yeah. Um, 
But it just feels so weird here because Cap, Captain America and his shield is just such like a simple dynamic. It's a simple but effective concept. Yeah, I feel like this doesn't last hardly at all, but I could be wrong in it. You know, at the rate we're going right now, it could be like 60 episodes from now where we finally get rid of it. But it's not that long. You're right. And actually, I feel like they sort of just like forget they even had them. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, yeah, I took those out. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we'll, we'll have to see what happens. Thor doesn't really do a good showing here against the Avengers. I feel like he should mop the floor with them a little better, but he's also possessed. So he you is could Superman. Just, you could just argue that he's he's under a spell or something. Right. So he's not really fighting with full full capacity. Like he doesn't Iron actually, Man, um, Iron Man just spins him around like a fool and then pretty much like uses like light to unhypnotize him, I guess. Yeah, that's the way to unhypnotize somebody. You, you flash lights at them and suddenly they're like all better. Hey. And Thor's like, I, I thought I banished you. Why are you here? Works in TNG. Yeah, that's true. They have a little, the game episode, right? Yeah. Yeah. But they needed data for that. So, But Iron Man and Data are probably the same intelligence, right? Iron Man and Data, I think Iron Man might be a bit outmatched by, by Data. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> he invented a, 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 a an element. That's true. <laughs> anyway. Um, um, at the end, Thor says uh, a space warp can lead anywhere. <sighs> Difference. I, I feel like Thor could have directed the space warp, but he just didn't care enough because Thor's metal like that. That's just abuse of, of space warp generating technology because it just <laughs> seems really bad. Like, Here's these three really bad villains. I'm just going to warp them somewhere. I don't even care where. Meanwhile, these poor innocent people in Iowa are eating breakfast when Zemo, Enchantress, and what's-his-face land on their roof. That's not nice. I want to see that, though. Mm-hmm. I want to see them crash to the roof of of, of the, the Johnson family eating breakfast. That'd be great. Um, so I like Cap Factor, but this caption that says uh, that – the, the executioner pressure gives pressure on Cap's shoulder equal to a hundred times the force of gravity. Mm. He should be dead. Yeah, but Cap, oh well. Cap's arm would be gone. He'd be smushed. Just give him a nerve pinch. I mean, we all know there's a nerve pinch you can do there. Cap's gonna be susceptible to that as anybody is. That's just Stanley being, um, what is the word, hyperbolic or something? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That's just too crazy. And he's gonna steal Captain America. And Enchantress like, no, don't steal Captain America. We gotta go. We need. We need as little mass in the ship as possible. Yeah, good thing. Because they had him. Yeah. Wow, that's one of the few times he just gets straight up defeated. Actually, this and last issue, he got shot and was unconscious. So, like, that's going to be the theme now? Like, he gets knocked out at the end of every issue? Yeah, I remember that being a theme back in the Mighty Shield days. That he he gets his butt beat a bit more often in Tales of Suspense than we thought he was going to. Yeah. So this is two in a row now. The last few pages, they get they get the best of him, and he's unconscious, and the Avengers kind of have to save him. But now we have a recurring threat for this comic book, and we're going to get several more appearances of the Enchantress in the Avengers before um, before Thor leaves the team. So who's better, the Masters of Evil or the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants? Um, so far. Um... Exactly, they're kind of the same thing, sorta. I mean, I, I leave toward, I lean toward the Brotherhood. Uh huh. They've had more stories than the the Masters of Evil have, and the Masters of Evil were just, I don't know, they're just kind of some random guys at this point. I don't really feel like, yeah, I don't feel like the Black Knight and the the was it the Melter? No. Yeah. 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 I just, I don't, I don't, I'm, I like the Masters of Evil as an idea. 
I don't feel like the first incarnation of the Masters of Evil is the best incarnation of the Masters of Evil. This one's not great either. It's pretty much just Thor villains with Baron Zemo. Um, yeah. It'd be nicer if they all were all well-roundedly represented, like one member of each had a bad guy on the team. But um, also the Brotherhood has the whole like Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver aren't really evil, evil dynamic, which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and I, I like Mastermind and, you know, his conniving. He sort of Starscream to, to Magneto's Megatron. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Toad is, of course, the Toad. They, the, Ma- the Brotherhood have all really strongly felt personalities. Like, you know right. who they are. Yeah, we'll have to give it a few more issues because, yeah. Well, speaking of more issues. Got one more tonight or today or whenever more. you feel like listening to this. We have The Amazing Spider-Man, number 16, um, dated September 64, but still on sale June 9th. And let me jump to the title. It's called Duel with Daredevil. So Spider-Man fights the Human Torch, obviously. Written by Stan Lee. Master of the Spoken Word, illustrated by Steve Ditko, Dean of Dramatic Drawings, and lettered by S. Rosen, Sultan of Sparkling Spelling. That was hard to say. Um, Starts out with one of those subplots we were gushing about in that Aunt May is still bugging Peter to go out with her friend's niece, Mary Jane. This Mary Jane person. Who is she? And this time, Steve, or uh, Peter's like, look it, I kind of have a girlfriend, you know, so this is just weird. I'm probably not going to date Mary Jane. And Aunt May's like, oh, but I really like my friend, so you should do me this solid. And he's like, oh, I'm out of here. So he leaves and he swings around and he comes across a bunch, uh, three guys like running out of a, uh, probably robbing a store or something. Anyway, they've got like those knapsacks full of gold coins that you see in Mario Brothers or whatever. Um they're rounding the corner and they're about to hit a blind man. So Spider-Man jumps down to save the blind man and like beats them all up and stuff. And he's like, hey, are you okay, blind man? And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. No problem. And as Spider-Man leaves, blind man's like, actually, I'm Daredevil. But I didn't want him to know that. So I just pretended to be blind man and let him take care of it. But I'm really Daredevil. And he turns to Daredevil to show us that he's really Daredevil. And he goes back to his office as Daredevil, changes back to Matt Murdock. And they're like, Matt, where have you been? We're so worried about you. You're such a homebody. You stay at home and do nothing. Why don't you come to the circus with us? Because blind people like the circus, right? And he's like, I have no friends. Yes, fine. I'll go with you. But it turns out the circus, cut to, is actually... Mastermind again, who we haven't seen since uh, Hulk number three. Ringmaster. I'm sorry, Ringmaster. Mastermind, Ringmaster, same idea. Same thing. Ringmaster, the guy with the top hat and the sparkly thing that can hypnotize people. Um, And he wants a full house because he wants to pilfer like he's been doing since Hulk. Um, And a way to get the full house is false advertising. He has put out an advertisement that in person tonight will be Spider-Man and all proceeds go to charity. Of course, he didn't count on the fact that Peter Parker would see this. And Peter Parker's thought, well, that's weird because I'm not going to be there, but it's for charity. So I guess I'll go and surprise them. So he goes to tell J. Jonah Jameson he can't work tonight, even though he's not on payroll. So that's sort of weird. Um, And as he's doing that, a ticket for the circus falls out. And Betty's like, oh, you're going to the circus? Are we going on a date? He's like, uh, I have to go to the circus by myself. And she does the Betty Tear thing and walks away. Of course, he can't tell her because his whole plan is to go to the circus and turn into Spider-Man. And she would, of course, see that. That'd be bad. So more awkward drama for them. Uh, So they all, 
you know, meet at the circus in their own ways. Matt and his crew and Spider-Man and the ringmaster's there. And Spider-Man shows up and everybody goes, yay, this is fun. You're so cool. And he does cool tricks and stuff. And the ringmaster's like, well, I mean, I can still do my plan. First, I'll hypnotize Spider-Man, though. So he runs out of the center of the ring and immediately hypnotizes Spider-Man, puts him in a trance. And once he's neutralized that threat, he then proceeds to hypnotize the whole audience. And they're all just kind of, you know, sitting there waiting to be robbed, essentially, except for Matt Murdock, because Matt Murdock is blind and therefore cannot see the ringmaster's, you know, powerful ringy hat thingy, hypnotizer thingy. So he turns to Daredevil and he tries to attack the ringmaster, but the ringmaster uses Spider-Man to defend him. Um, Daredevil is hopelessly outmatched, but luckily ringmaster is like being very, is being like too literal with his instructions to Spider-Man. So he'll say something like, Stop Daredevil, and then Spider-Man will stop Daredevil, but then just stop doing anything, you know? Once he stopped, he'll just stand there. So basically, Daredevil uses that to his advantage to get around Spider-Man, um, knocks the hat off of Ringmaster, and uses it to de-hypnotize Spider-Man, I guess. Spider-Man says, gee shucks, I'm sorry. They shake on it, and then the two of them agree to beat up the circus. Uh, which they both do together for a little while, but then ultimately Matt's like, you know, I think Spider-Man has this, so I'm going to back out. He turns back to Matt Murdock and goes to hang out with his hypnotized friends. Spider-Man easily destroys everybody because nobody's stronger or faster than Spider-Man. They're all just humans. Um, And then, oh, then he is almost hypnotized again by the ringmaster. The ringmaster tries, but this time Spider-Man closes his eyes and the ringmaster doesn't know that he's closing his eyes because Spider-Man's mask makes it so you can't see his eyes. So he basically just walks towards ringmaster kind of blind and, you know, beats him by flicking him in the face, essentially, and taking his hat. Um, He then dehypnotizes everybody the way Matt dehypnotized him using the hat. Um... They all go their separate ways. They ask, or, you know, uh, Karen and Foggy ask if Matt had a good time. He says, yeah, sure, it sounded fun or something like that. And then Spider-Man's seen swinging home wondering what Betty and Aunt May are going to do to ruin his life. Yep. The end. Mary Jane. This was a cool um, uh, crossover, I thought. This was a cool crossover. I like I like Steve Ditko's Daredevil. I really do, too. I think it really highlights the similarities between Daredevil's and Spider-Man's physiology. Uh-huh. Um, and just the way they move and carry themselves. Um, this was my only Daredevil for years. We started collecting Daredevil whenever I was around 10 or 11. But I had this. This was my one concept of Daredevil mm-hmm. for a long time. Uh, and, of course, it's not even his regular suit. But... It's this is very much a Daredevil story that has Spider-Man in it. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Cuz you get all the you get all the Daredevil drama that we've been getting in Daredevil and mm-hmm. most of the most of the storyline seems to be his from his point of view, except for the opener, really. And we get a few little details that we get and just enough details of his powers and oh, yeah. Really the description of his powers in this comic is the core of what I understand about him. Mm-hmm. More so than what it says in his own comic. Like when I think of Daredevil's powers, this description is what I'm thinking of. Um, but the little bit of Peter Parker that we do get is some Mary Jane bits at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Which uh, Aunt, you know, Aunt Peter- May seems a little um, in the wrong here. You think so? Well, I mean, he's straight up telling her, "I am dating somebody," and she's just right. like, "I don't care. Date this other person instead because they're my friend." Yeah, I don't know. I, 
I almost feel like it's um, like I have this friend and she has this daughter or niece and I want her to meet you and you really would like her. It's kind of like when when somebody just won't watch the show or won't read the book that you really like and you know they would enjoy it, but they won't actually read or watch it. It's just like, why won't you? But she straight up makes that that line like you're not really engaged or anything. Right. It's like that's the line that a guy says to a girl when she won't date him because she's dating somebody else. <laughs> this is true. Where's the ring? <laughs> he obviously doesn't love you that much. If she likes it, she would have put a ring on it. And she right. hasn't yet. So look at Mary Jane over here. Yeah, right. So I've never been blind. No. And I may not know what I'm talking about. But it seems odd. And you mentioned this. It just seems odd to invite someone who cannot see to a form of entertainment that is 100% visual. Mm-hmm. This just feels weird. Yes. He says, you mustn't allow your handicap to make you a recluse that can't, you can't work all the time. And then they invite him to the circus. Now, I don't know. Maybe just because they don't know what to do with him. They're just bad friends. They're kind of trying to be good friends, but they're bad friends. They're not being very, they're I not thinking know. it through. I guess. Also, Hulk magazine now discontinued. Yeah. Ringmaster, last seen in Hulk magazine number three, now discontinued. Um, which is delightful because, you know, there is no Hulk magazine, although, hey, he's back next month. Not to backpedal, but you'd think Foggy, of course, would at least know what to do with Matt. They've known each other a long time. They, they hung out in college. Yeah. They so did stuff together. This isn't like he just met this blind guy that he's working with and he doesn't know how to awkwardly socialize with him. Anyway. Foggy. I can, That's weird. I can actually see Foggy from the TV show mm-hmm. inviting Matt along with a look in his eye and a tone of his voice that he really doesn't expect Matt to say yes. He's just like, so Karen and I are going to go to the circus. Um, you want to go, Matt? No? Okay, good. Because Karen and I are going to the circus. <laughs> so, by the way, same page, issue five, issue five page five. Um Matt, in his thought bubble, says, I dare not tell him the truth that I don't trust my feelings for Karen. It's better that I don't see her socially. I was thinking, like, in the Daredevil books, I know she's thought that, like, he's so great. If only he wasn't handicapped, blah, blah, blah. And she's tried to get him to get his eyes fixed, and he always refuses. And in his thought bubble, it's like, she doesn't understand that I have superpowers. But has he ever thought, like, I don't trust my feelings around her? What does that even mean? Um, okay, so if he's trying to put up a wall... But he's actually out with Karen in a casual social environment. Mm-hmm. It might be hard for him to maintain that wall. Yeah. That, that's how I read it. It's like if you, if you know you're attracted to someone and for whatever reason you think it's a bad idea, then going out and like being physically in proximity to them in a nice, casual, fun environment might not be the, the, the best idea if you're trying to maintain boundaries. So he doesn't want to date her for what reason? Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know why he's not dating her. I mean, it's it's Silver Age drama. Like, okay. He's he's Daredevil. He can't date Karen or... It's the same thought bubbles Tony's having with Pepper, except in Tony's case, he thinks he's going to die any day. Right. So, anyway. Kind of um, weird fabricated drama for that doesn't seem to have a purpose. But It is weird. I, and not to backpedal back to before you backpedaled, but um, <laughs> do you think it's possible? This is an idea I had. When I was talking about how it's cute that the Hulk magazine is discontinued. Do you think it's possible 
that this is some weird left-handed way of drumming up interest in the Hulk comic that's about to come out? It could be. Um, Does that feel like too much of a stretch? Well, between that and his all these random guest appearances he's been having, it feels like they're trying to play him up. Yeah. Yeah. Because he just pops out of nowhere in Spider-Man, and of course he's in Tales to Astonish because that's going to be his book next month. But mm-hmm. wasn't he in something before that too? Avengers probably. He was in Avengers. He was in uh, – well, he was in a Fantastic Four crossover that involved the Avengers. Yes, that too. Yeah, I feel like they're trying to pump it up to like people wanting him to come back. I feel like having a little through line of Hulk stories revived interest – and um, using the ringmaster here and mentioning the Hulk is just a way of saying, hey, maintaining that interest. Although it's weird because I don't associate the ringmaster with the Hulk at all. Like, I'll be surprised if they ever meet each other again. And yet that's where he started. I do associate Hulk with the circus just because of that iconic clown Hulk thing. But yeah. Yes, in Avengers number one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Betty being upset... At the circus ticket. This is one of the times where Betty's upsets actually feel a bit natural to me. Yeah, Peter, why did you buy a ticket? You're going to go there as Spider-Man. Just crawl through the tent hole at the top. Oh, you're right. Dummy. He didn't need to buy a ticket. (laughs) Save some money. Why did he buy a ticket? (laughs) He's not going as Peter. He's not going as Peter. He's not going in the front door. (laughs) I have read this comic 50 times. I've never thought, Peter... Why did you buy a circus ticket? <laughs> but you're right, though. That was like, I felt bad for Betty in that scene. More more mm-hmm. so than I usually do. Usually I feel like Betty's just, you know, maybe calm down a little bit, Betty. But yeah, in this case, that's totally on Peter. And if her, if her hurt feelings from last issue haven't had any redress, if they haven't, like, talked it out, then, you know, all of this feels even more understandable. That, like, she's, you know... She's still scared that he's going after Liz, and now he's got the circus ticket, and he hasn't said anything to her about it. So, yeah. And you know where this is going, and so we don't have to spoil it per se, but from someone like me who's only read this for the first time, a lot of these for the first time, I feel like they need to give Betty and Peter a win, or I'm going to start not liking this relationship. Mm -hmm. Like, every issue is basically, how can Peter upset her this time? Right. Um, where's the date? Why are they together? You know, at some point you wonder why are these two people together when all they do is have friction. So either, they, they do need a win. You're right. Either they need a win or they need to dump. One of the two. Um, okay. I'll ask the same thing I probably asked back when this uh, show was a month old. Since the ringmaster is in a circular crowd, how does he get all of them hypnotized <laughs> before anyone cares? Yeah, it doesn't like, make a lot of sense, does it? Also, who's to say everybody's looking at him? Right? Like, if I had my son at that circus, he would never get hypnotized by the ringmaster. Because he's looking everywhere but at the circus? Because all he's looking at is his phone, probably. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm not sure. We talked about earlier about how this looks really, really cool um, with Ditko. I would be curious to know what Ditko's inspiration was for doing a Daredevil story. Uh well, maybe Stan was just trying to plug Daredevil because they had Spider-Man on the cover of number one. Right. And if you have Daredevil crossover into Spider-Man, then people know who Daredevil is. I'd like to think that Ditko saw Daredevil and was like, ooh, I'd like to do that. That's decided too. it on his own. He does seem but to be. Stan could have told him to. He does seem to be having a lot of fun with him. Yeah. Lots of fun with the, with. It's not like the Human Torch where like the torch is just thrown into a little bit of, of the comic and then, 
you know, mm-hmm. it's still mainly Spider-Man. This is this is this really feels like a, a Marvel team up issue. That or it feels like Daredevil number five guest starring Spider-Man. Right. Yeah. It's really not much of a Spider-Man issue other than those two subplots. But although the stuff with Daredevil is really pretty great and the art is dynamic, I do run out of things to say once he takes over. I like Matt in this book. Maybe I like Matt in this issue more than I've liked him in Daredevil. I like that he's just kind of like cool with who he is. I don't know how else to explain it. Like he he uh, he's fine with Spider-Man rescuing him as the blind guy. He's fine with rescuing Spider-Man. I like that he sort of just after a little bit of fighting with Spider-Man, he's just like, you know, I'm going to go back to my seat. <laughs> Spider-Man doesn't need me, you know? <laughs> like, I don't know. He just comes off as cool in a way that – Oftentimes, Daredevil does come off as cool, or Matt does, I guess. Um, This was all a little bit weird reading and kind of thinking my thoughts about it because I was just recently on the Spidey Rewind podcast talking about the next Circus of Crime appearance, okay, which is Amazing Spider-Man 22. So I felt a little bit out of order when I was reading this. I was like, oh, wait a second. Is there a few, just a few changes in the dynamics between this and the next one that felt weird? Yeah. But overall, good issue. Good crossover. One of the better crossovers so far. Definitely one of the better crossovers. And I love how much everyone's so excited when Spider-Man comes out. Yay, Spider-Man. Yeah. You would think he maybe would have thought about that being a trap or something, or did he just assume that they had no way of communicating with him, so they were hoping he'd show up? That seems to be what he went with. Yeah. Whether that's a reasonable conclusion, you know, is up for debate, but that seems to be how how he thought it out. Yeah. So, um, should we start to wrap up the episode? Sure. All right. Well, those were our three comics. We have we have four more comics for June, three of which will come at you next episode. In fact, um, well, what's the order that we do this? Do I do Twitters and then you – no. You do homework while I get Twitter open. Is that okay, right? Okay, sure. We can do it that way. The homework for next episode is going to be Tales of Suspense 57, the first appearance of a certain archer that isn't green – uh, Strange Tales 124, where we get the return of Human Torch's most amazing villain, Pacebot Pete. <laughs> and Fantastic Four number 30, where we are introduced to a new villain named the Mysterious Diablo. So that's what we're going to cover next time, if you guys want to read along with us. And we have been getting lots of people following us over on Twitter. So I just want to send some shout outs to our recent Twitter followers. I always have trouble figuring out where I left off in the list. Um, Just start at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. Did I? um, Wow. I feel like I haven't talked about any of these guys. So did I talk about the My Marvelous Year podcast? Doesn't ring a bell. Okay. Did I talk about... um, I'm sure I did Secret Wars and Beyond. Yeah. DS and... Okay. So... We'll start there. Hopefully I haven't missed anybody. Okay. Okay. So um, the Secret Wars and Beyond podcast, which is at Sean42AZ. Uh, that's the co-host of Secret Wars and Beyond and the Pulp 2 Pixel Podcast Network. Uh, they are covering Marvel superheroes, Secret Wars, Secret Wars 2, and other stuff beyond. They did every single Secret Wars crossover comic. So that's there. KB Likes Comics is Kyle Benning underscore art. He is part of the... Um, G.I. Joe headcast, and he loves comics. Uh, his Twitter is 100% political post free. He has a G1 Transformers blog. He has a TF Twitter, Transformers Twitter at Decon's Retreat. I wonder if he knows that I'm starting up a Transformers podcast. 
I don't think anybody he, knows that. Oh, maybe I shouldn't talk about it yet. Maybe. Or announce so, it. Pa- <laughs> so um, Paul Matthew Carr is at Daddy Elk. He's just this guy, you know. Uh, read more comics is comics underscore more encouraging others to hashtag read more comics. Ian R at Sir underscore Rancelot eight. The technolo- technologically challenged half of Uncaped Review podcast. Uh, Uncaped Review is also a Twitter handle at Uncaped Review. Uh, Chansey, um, he does not have a bio, or they do not have a bio, and their Twitter uh, name is a bunch of random letters and numbers. So, but but we do appreciate you following us, Chansey. Marvel Comics UK at Gavman Low, uh, collector of vintage and some modern Marvel comics. I wonder if this Marvel Comics UK guy knows that I'm starting up a Transformers UK podcast. I don't think anybody knows. Oh, maybe I shouldn't talk about that yet. Or announce it. So Ryan Hall is at Mighty Mjolnir, an unimportant person in an unimportant state with very unimportant random thoughts. All right. Um, At Invalidus. He is a lifelong fan of the Legion of Superheroes and their greatest villains, the Fatal Five. I like Legion of Superheroes. I like the Fatal Five. Um, is the Fatal Five the Legion of Superheroes bad guys or something? Yeah, yeah. They've got uh, five villains that all teamed up together. And like one's a sorceress and one's uh, a giant like mechanical man. I forget exactly. I don't really know them that well because my Legion read-through is still in early days. But but yeah. There's this thing on Twitter about Let's Talk, like starting up a, a Twitter feed that's just all about a particular character. Let's talk Scarlet Witch. Uh-huh. Let's talk Captain Marvel. Well, let's talk Kang is oh, following us. Wow. So um, he might be excited to know that Avengers number eight is coming soon, mm-hmm. which is the first appearance of Kang. Although technically we've already had first appearance of the person who is Kang, but that's another story. Yes. Um, MOS, as in Man of Steel, 6502. I run in eight bits. His, his his icon is an old-school Atari joystick. Nice. So that's pretty great. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to wrap up with two more. Not That Matt Moore at Gorilla Scribe and Dave of the Realms at Comic Book Herald. Helping you enjoy comics, reading order guides galore, run by a Dave, Marvel podcast at My Marvelous Year. Um, I, they, they do a podcast where they go through Marvel Comics – but they pick like their 10 favorite comics from a given year. And there's podcast about those. So that is at my marvelous year, uh, which is done by comic book Herald at comic book Herald. So thank you very, very much to all of those out there who are following us on Twitter. I feel like I may have done a lot of those before, but that's okay. We'll, we'll get everyone. And uh, we're recording another episode right after this one. So I know exactly where I left off. No one's going to be upset if you cover them twice. That's true. Everyone likes to hear their name on, 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 on podcasts, right? Free promotion. Of course you like it. All right. Um, how, can they, how can they find us out there in the world? Well, they can open their app that plays podcasts and search makearsmarvel.com. I think we're the only one called that, so we'll come right on up. Um, if you're unsure of that, though, you can go to makearsmarvel.com. And there's an RSS feed you can plug in, or you can go directly to the links for iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play. You can also find links to our social media on Twitter and Facebook. And lastly, you can use the form to contact us on the website, or you can email directly podcast at makearsmarvel.com. 
All right. And on Facebook, we have recently been liked by Scott McFadden, Logan Kerwin, Rob Hauptman, and Chris Ashmore. So thank you very much for liking us and supporting the page over on Facebook. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at John Reads Comics. My other stuff at All the Pouches is my Image Comics podcast. At Silly Sentai is my Super Sentai commentary podcast with my son. At It's Wanda Time is my Scarlet Witch tweet blog. Um, and. Um, that might be everything I do on Twitter. So, until next time, or until Dr. Zemo finds out about Captain America's super serum by reading Captain America comics, make ours marvel. marvel.